either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Not quite as monstrous as it's been at the theaters the last couple of weeks, but we've definitely got some good stuff to talk about. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com, and this might be the Hope Madden Show. I'm playing Hurt. I'm playing Hurt today. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how many of you have gotten your second vaccine, but I got mine yesterday. Knocked me down. Yeah. Knocked me down, and I'm just starting to feel better now. So you get yours in, what, a week? I do. Your second one in a week? I do. So uh, let's hope you come through it a little bit better, because that was, man... Talk about getting beat up, but we're on the mend. Get that Tylenol, because we weren't allowed to take anything else. Only Tylenol. No, I know. Only Tylenol, yeah. Enough of that, though. Let's get at it. Let's start with Netflix. In a world where supervillains are commonplace, two estranged childhood best friends reunite after one devises a treatment that gives them powers to protect their city. It's Thunder Force. Thunder Force, remember it. For the first time in history, we're seeing real life superheroes fighting crime. But we're also seeing a new kind of criminal. This city deserves what's coming to it. Boom. It's go time. We've got to rethink this car. Yeah. How can we not stop two chicks in their 40s? What's that smell? It's the suits. We can't wash them. That's messed up. I don't know why, but I always feel like I should start... Every any time there's a Melissa McCarthy movie, I always feel like I should start by saying she's polarizing. I mean, I, I know there's a camp of people out there that don't think she's funny at all, but I guess that would be true for really any comedic star. I mean, there's people that don't think Will Ferrell is funny. I know the both of us are big fans of Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. And, and she can make even things that aren't that funny so much more funny just by her delivery. Agreed. And and I think part of it is because she does have the like the greatest, most spontaneous comic timing. And the other part is that with two Oscar nominations to her name, she's also a really good actor. Yeah. Um, and this is not a great movie, but there there were times where I laughed out loud. Oh, yeah. It is it is what we said earlier today. It's, it's just the week's big, dumb, funny comedy. It is. It is dumb. And it's a, a, a twist on the superhero genre. We've seen some of these here in the last few years. It's not, I wouldn't call it a parody exactly, but it just has fun with almost accidental superheroes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCarthy are childhood friends. They've drifted apart because Melissa McCarthy is kind of the slacker and Octavia Spencer is the super genius. So she's gone on and she invents all these things and she's working on this uh, technology to make superheroes because in this world, in this universe, there are not superheroes, but there are supervillains yep. that they call miscreants. Yes. Yeah. And it has to do with these cosmic rays that hit the Earth in 1983, but whatever. Right. So they meet back up during the weekend of their high school reunion. And, of course, Melissa McCarthy wanders into the lab that uh, Octavia is working on all this stuff and touches things that she shouldn't. And next thing you know, she's got superpowers. And, and then Octavia has been working on... Uh, pill that can make you invisible. So that's what we've got. We've got Melissa with the super strength mm-hmm. and Octavia with the invisibility. And they become the Thunder Force and they have to go and clean up Chicago because there's a group of super villains. And it is dumb. It, <laughs> it's dumb. But it is funny. It's got some some stupid, funny 
segments about it. It's the latest that is written and directed by Melissa McCarthy's husband, Ben Falcone. And he also, as usual, plays a small part. And of the Falcone-McCarthy movies, this is not the worst. That, no. That still goes to Tammy. Tammy. Um, but there's, uh, you know, there's there's been some decent ones that they've done. I think Life of the Party was pretty good. Mm. Uh, Super Intelligence, that was just last year, again, was just a dumb comedy. Yeah. So I agree with you. I laughed. It's nothing that I want to go watch again No, real, very quickly. I mean, a lot of it just doesn't feel very authentic. I mean, when there are scenes of, say... Uh, it, it, it seems like one of those where they get a bunch of friends together because you'll see familiar faces that they work with a lot, like Bobby Cannavale yeah. and, uh, and Jason, and Jason Bateman. Bateman, which, okay, if you're going to put Jason Bateman in, that's another another reason that I'm interested. He's just great. Well, and that's the uh, thing, right? Uh, every single scene with Jason Bateman is just a stitch. And what's unfortunate, I think, about this movie, Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCarthy, they don't feel like they have the same chemistry that you usually find in McCarthy movies, which is unfortunate because Octavia Spencer, again, Oscar winner, Oscar nominee, there's a lot of Oscars floating around <laughs> This, uh, yeah. this production, I, I was hoping that that their repartee would be a little bit stronger. And and I feel like um, I, I don't think Octavia Spencer feels comfortable in the straight man role, which yeah. is the one that she's kind of saddled with. She gets one great funny line about Glenn Fry that made me laugh out loud. She did. <laughs> I, I know. But Glenn she's a little Fry. wasted, I think, in this. <laughs> Glenn Fry's uh, estate is, uh, they're happy about this movie because they use a good bit of, of, of his music and have some fun with it. But the, Jason Bateman is great. He plays a, a super villain with, called the Crab with these crab hands. Oh my god! And uh, he does every time he he leaves a scene. Every time he leaves, he puts his his hands up <laughs> and he starts moving sideways doing yeah. a crab walk. It's hysterical. But but so much of it just seems very lazy. I mean, Bobby Cannavale is running for mayor of Chicago, and every time they have some sort of press conference or or anything official with it, it doesn't. It looks so fake. <laughs> I mean, I know in a movie like The guy this, with the crab arms, though. <laughs> but it just seems very slapped together. Yeah, you know, it that does. Maybe the, the, a lot of the effort was not put into it. But still, though, for stupid gags that... It reminded me in some respects of Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar because you have these gags that go on way too long. Yeah, they go on too long. They're funny because they've gone on too long. Yeah, yeah. I don't think this this movie is not as funny as Barry Star, not. though. No, no it's no. not. Um, and I also think that that the humor in this, and because I, I said this earlier today, every time I laughed out loud, it occurred to me, no 20-year-old is going to find this funny. <laughs> like, this movie is so directly uh, addresses middle-aged people. And uh, <laughs> so if you're, like, 25 and you're thinking, I don't, just skip it. You're not going to like it. <laughs> but if you're, if you're a fan of Melissa McCarthy or, or, or Jason Bateman, I mean, right there, I'm in. Um, it's you're you're gonna laugh not a whole heck of a lot, but especially if you already have Netflix. Well, what are you gonna lose? <laughs> you know, fire it up, and that's new on Netflix this week. Thunder Force. Oh, hey, before we move on, I forgot. See, my head is still foggy from all this medicine. <laughs> um, we did have some some comments from last week about about Godzilla versus Kong. Yes, yes, Omar. You know, Omar is, is one of our favorites, and he often comments on both of the podcasts, actually, and he's a master of, of GIFs. He just does the funniest things with... Anyway, the point is, he... GIFs um, or GIFs? Can we settle that here? I say GIF. Okay, fine. That's so, fine. I don't care. I just want to settle on one. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. He um, did not care for Kong, Godzilla versus Kong, mm -hmm. and not for this. So so we, we kind of gave it a pass. We didn't think it was as good as Kong Skull Island, but we did think it was so much better than either yeah, of the recent Godzilla it. movies. Yeah. And part of it was because it didn't take the, the human drama quite so seriously. Right. But his 
concern is that it, it also didn't really take the kaiju drama particularly seriously. So if the kaijus don't have really an arc and the, the humans don't really have an arc, then what is the point of watching the movie? I, I believe that's what I got. from. I mean, tweets okay. are short, but that's pretty sure. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's what he was saying. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. And Dzak, he just wanted to point out that he was. I was wondering who was the audience for the Smiths movie, right? Um, oh, Shoplifters was... of the World. And yes. Dzak clarified, it's him. That's him. And so he, he listened to some vinyl Smiths while he listened to okay. our podcast. So All right. Well, he's the one. Glad. No, I'm kidding. They're very popular. We always love to get that uh, feedback, usually on Twitter at Mad Wolf. All right. Thank you for that. Let's move on. This one is out in theaters, and it's a crew of astronauts on a multi-generational mission descending into paranoia and madness, not knowing what is real and what is not. It's Voyagers. You're not feeling what I'm feeling. What's going on? They're drugging us. To prevent exactly this kind of thing from happening. System restarting. We won't ever see the planet. I want to be honest with him. About everything. He can't protect you. Protect us from what? I'm scared. There's nothing to be scared of. It's all in your head. Well, this is one that... You mentioned in your written review, and I think it's a. It seems to be a universal thought about this movie that you can just boil it down to: it's Lord of the Flies in space. That's exactly what it is. That's one hundred percent what the film is. We have found a planet that can sustain life, but it's an eighty-seven-year trip to get there. So we engineer the best and the brightest, and one Colin Farrell volunteers to be like the one adult who just gives up his life and travels with them. Now, this this generation, they're not going to make it to this planet 87 years away. Their kids may not even make it, but if they do, they'll be old. What they're doing is is saving the human race three generations out. Right. The, their grandchildren will inherit this so new planet. You can easily get the moral there, the message there, but the Lord of the Flies comes in is when some of the kids, and in the kids you have Ty Sheridan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, always good, yeah, and Lily Rose Depp, who uh, Johnny Depp's daughter. Is this really her first big sort of break? Yeah, I know she's she, done a lot of sort almost cameos. Exactly. Yeah, this I think this is her first because she's the lead. She's the female lead in this, and then Fionn Whitehead from Dunkirk does mm-hmm. a great job as kind of the villain. So yeah, um, so they figure out that part of the the mission or part of the the plan that they don't know about is they're being kept docile. Yes. Right. So that they can manage to withstand really this confined life that they're they're sacrificing, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to make it all the way there. They're going to spend their whole lives just inside this this vessel, as will their children. And so, um, you know, Mission Control decided the best way to keep them from just going mad and to keep them from, you know, using up all the resources that they have was to do this to to keep them docile. But then Somebody gets wise to the fact that that's happening, and then they decide to stop drinking the drink that does that, and then... Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Hormones you, run rampant. Yeah, and you know, and it's funny, I actually, I mean, it, it's so it so closely parallels that book that I honestly expected to see Golding uh, as, as to get a screen credit, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, I don't, I don't think they were trying to hide it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's clear that the, that the larger themes here are really, can we please 
just refrain from going nuts so that our future generations have a place to live like yeah. that's and and then also you know int- is it worth it and is it worth asking us to do that so that's kind of what they're trying to to look at in this film and I think it's a fascinating uh, concept for a sci-fi movie. And I think the whole movie is a fascinating concept. But the execution is a little bit weak, maybe because it is a PG-13 film. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, the when things go wild, eh, it's not all that wild. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's really, and it's also very visually confined. And a lot of filmmakers excel at that. Neil Berger, I don't think does. Yeah, I don't, the, he doesn't have a great instinct for what to do to generate thrills in this confined space. Yeah, he's the writer-director, Neil Berger, and he, he did Divergent, The Illusionist, The Upside, not great movies. It's, well, there. pretty mediocre. Yeah, and, and that's sort of what this one is. It's, it's not horrible, but at the same time, uh, when you're so easily boiled down to what it is, Lord of the Flies in Space, it doesn't really bring anything more than that. Well, the thing is, Lord of the Flies in Space, that to me is a fascinating concept oh, yeah, that is. should be powerful and nutty and this is not powerful or nutty that's the thing it's it's very neutered honestly and it's it's funny that you talked about the last movie uh thunder force is not going to be appealing to anyone say of 20 something years old this one will probably be much more appealing if you're in that age exactly yeah it's a safe enough it's a safe enough film for you know teenagers to watch and i and and the cast is attractive to teenagers it's actually a very talented cast of of young people that you'll know from a whole bunch of other movies who by and large are kind of wasted in this one but i do think that it's it's aimed at the ya crowd and mm-hmm. it's not a bad movie for that crowd and it's voyagers in theaters now Next up is programs that we have looked forward to the last few years. It is the blocks of Oscar-nominated shorts this year. Three blocks, animated, live action, and documentary. The most important thing to me is my family is always protected by a shield. I just want to get home. What do you want from me, huh? Yeah, we look forward to these every year yeah. because one thing I think I said in my um, written review about this was I remember watching the Academy Awards when I was a kid and they would give out these short film awards and I always think to myself, how do you see these? Yeah, you just felt well, gypped. Why, yeah, like well, why do people make short films? No one can ever see them. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know about film festivals and things mm-hmm. like that. But the point is, in the last few years, they've packaged them and made them available theatrically, which has been great. I've loved that. Well, this year, they're not only available theatrically in some theaters, but they're available virtually. Yeah. And it's fantastic. You get to see these. And it just, if you're not, if you don't really see short films that much, this is a great way to get into them and to, to be reminded that such great stories can be told with not a lot of time. Yes. I mean, you take something like, we'll start with the animated block. Uh, there's five nominated films, and then they add three more that they call highly commended. Yeah. Because some of the short animateds are really short. Right. And if you put five together, it's not going to be a real... Running big, time. Yeah, so exactly. they pad it a little bit with other great shorts. Yeah, exactly. So that one has three extras. But there's some great stuff here. The, you know, family-friendly, warm stuff uh, about the bunny who's, uh-huh. who's looking for a home called Burrow. And that was going to be the short that accompanied Soul right. this past year. But, of course, it didn't get uh, made theatrically. So, And then there's the one that we loved. And I, I, this is my pick to win uh, Opera? called Opera. It's just so 
fascinating. It's just a single frame, but the viewpoint just moves up and down, in and out of this constant motion Mm -hmm. inside this pyramid of all these figures. And what are they doing? And you try to keep your eye on one section of it, and you can't. And it's nine minutes long, and I could probably watch it for nine hours. I said, I wish it was my screensaver, although I know I would never get anything done. It's amazing. It is amazing. And then there's that heartbreaking one, If Anything Happens, I Love You. Yeah. And charcoal animation about this this couple that's grieving. And it's it just reminds you of the wonders of animation in the animation block. And then you move on to the documentary block. And even though I do look forward to these, I always know when I watch the documentary block, man, there's going to be some tough ones. They're going to ruin you. They're going to really ruin yeah. you. Because, because they're about, most of the time, current events. And, yeah. you know, there's things like refugee crisis. There's one about called the Hunger Ward that is about the, the effect of the uh, civil war in Yemen on the children specifically. Just break your heart. Yeah, yeah. There's a great one called uh, a, a Concerto is a Conversation about an, an award-winning... Um, Composer, does a lot of film work, Chris Bowers, and he's working on his first concerto, and he has this wonderful conversation with his grandfather about his grandfather's life, moving from being dirt poor in the Jim Crow South to being a successful business owner in Los Angeles. So it is a conversation between them as well as us learning, if you didn't know, what uh, kind of a conversation musically a concerto is. So so those are great documentaries, even though some of them are, are, are tough watching. And then the live action shorts, one of the first things you're going to you're gonna notice is, is that Oscar Isaac? Yes, it is. And it is Oscar. And quite a stash. <laughs> yeah, he does have a stash. He's in one called The Letter Room, and it's written and directed by his wife, Elvira Lind. And he plays a corrections officer who reads all the letters uh, that come in to the inmates uh, screens them before they, they uh, are given to the inmates, and he gets a little too caught up in one inmate's private life. And that's a good one. And then there's there's another one called a Two Distant Strangers that's a, a riff, another riff on Groundhog Day. And I know you're going to say, oh, come on. Are we going to do something new with Groundhog Day? This one will, it'll gut you. Yeah, well, it It'll really leave you gasping for air at the end. And it's just, and it's just fantastic. And that's the one that I would kind of pick to win, but um, I think history has shown I'm terrible at picking the shorts winners. I know. Both of us are. We, we both do We're, pretty well yeah. with the rest of the categories. Shorts, we always get wrong. Not good on the shorts winners. So, anyway, you can find them. If, if there's no theater in your area, we're lucky enough to have the Gateway Film Center here showing them uh, theatrically during Oscar week. But you can also see them virtually. And virtual cinemas at the Drexel at drexel.net or at Gateway Film Center at gatewayfilmcenter.org. Yeah, highly recommended. All three blocks of the Oscar-nominated shorts this year. Next up is a French film under the guidance of a strict ex-champion, a promising 15-year-old girl, trains as a professional skiing star. Will she be able to endure the physical and emotional pressures? This is Slalom. Tu vois pas qu'il nous regarde là Tu parlais à quelqu'un Qu'est-ce qui s'est passé Tu sais de quoi je parle Writer director Charlene Fabier, forgive me if I mispronounce that, grew up uh, on the French Alps, which you can really tell because <laughs> yeah. there it's just such a natural backdrop to this. They, they don't stop and explain things to you. It's it just feels very very natural and lived in, which lets you pay more attention to what it is that um, Liz is going through, and and she is played gloriously by uh, Noe Abita. Abita, yeah. Mm-hmm. By Noe Abita, who says very little at any point and just watches and takes in what's going on around her. And she's just, the, the performance is so stellar in the way that she withholds and releases information just through her face. 
And um, but that fits because she's she's a student, right? Yeah. She's she's in training. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and her mother um, has taken a job far away, and so she's at the school where she trains all week, and then she's at home by herself on the weekends. And basically what she's looking for is somebody who's not going to let her down. Unfortunately, she thinks she finds this in her trainer. It is such a, it's an unflinching, but it's an unsentimental look at abuse Mm. and how it happens, how it comes about. And one of the things that I think make it work so well is that it doesn't paint Liz as completely innocent or wholesome as no 15 year old is, you know, I mean, she's, she's, she's dealing awakenings of her own. And, and I think that that makes the film all the more powerful is that you, you really never leave her point of view. It's a tough movie to watch. It's incredibly good. And one of the things that's so impressive about it is the way the filmmaker shoots the slopes so that it's really beautiful and chilly and thrilling and isolating all at the same time, which completely fits the themes that she's going for. It's a great movie. Well, that's probably, like you said, the fact that she grew up there and is so comfortable yep. and knows just how to how to frame them for that uh, for that effect. And that is available VOD. It's called Slalom. Next is this week's Shudder premiere. It is 1973. A young nurse is forced to work the night shift in a crumbling hospital as striking miners switch off the power across Britain. But inside the walls lurks a terrifying presence that threatens to consume her and everyone around her. It's called The Power. Something chased me to the basement. When I looked, there was no one there. Are you just making this up? No, I'm not making it up. A nurse must give of herself entirely. Sacrifice. How much are you willing to give? Who is she? Gay. What does she want? Val! Now listen to me! And I know people of a certain age right now are singing, I've got the power! <laughs> song from the 90s, 92 or something like that. You remember that song? I do. Okay. <laughs> that's not this movie, though. It's it's completely what, inappropriate this for this morning movie. when I was talking to that radio morning show, that's what they did. So I just thought, okay. <laughs> right away. The power! <laughs> this is a really, um, uh, it's a really well-made, creepy ghost story of a film. But it's also, you know, a lot of metaphors working their way throughout this movie. The power is that the power itself is being cut every night, these rolling blackouts, while miners strike. And so it's a, it's an anti-union sort of a situation. They wouldn't have to cut the power if they would just allow the miners to unionize. And that's only, you hear about that, like, on the newscast a little bit. There's some grumblings, mainly the the cast itself or a group of people who work in a hospital who have to deal with how exactly they're going to get through every night shift without power. And uh, and it's it's this young woman's first shift She's an orphan, and she's very meek, and she has a past that kind of comes back to haunt her, and she's afraid of the dark, essentially. So there's a lot that's going on here that is set to spook you. There's a ghost, of course. It's, it is a ghost story. It's a haunted asylum type of film, which are always very yeah. effective. And it's set in the 70s, and it has a really good 70s vibe about it. But the whole thing is a metaphor about power and powerlessness. And eventually, it kind of feels a little bit overdone. But on the whole, I think it's very effective because, for for one thing, most of the characters are really sympathetic. Whether they wind up being good people or bad people, they are mostly created in a way that is dimensional, which is much preferable, really, mm-hmm. in any kind of a film, especially a horror film. Um, and uh, I think that it's tenderness 
ends up serving the the terror. You 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 know what I mean? You're a little bit more emotionally wrung out. I thought it was I thought it was very effective. Yeah, and that is the power, and you can find that on VOD, but also on Shutter. In the next movie, a young man in 1981 South Africa must complete his brutal and racist two years of compulsory military service while desperately maintaining the secrecy of his homosexuality. It's called Mafi. This one was, was reviewed for us by our former intern, Samantha Hardin. She did a great job. I hope you will give her review a look over at MadWolf.com. And Moffy, the word, is a derogatory term for homosexual. And uh, Which the, I did not know. I didn't either. It might just be specifically South African. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the movie... It's an excellent, riveting portrayal of not just the the racist context of this compulsory service in South Africa in 1981, obviously, but also of sort of all of the systemic evils and oppression that go along with that kind of thinking. Uh, The performances are wonderful. It's a gorgeous movie to watch and and really worth your time. And this is writer, well, co-writer and director Oliver Hermanis, Mm -hmm. and it is available in theaters this weekend called Mafi. How about some sci-fi horror next? It follows Kevin and his girlfriend, Evelyn, campers who are abducted by aliens who impregnate the latter. As the entity inside her starts growing, Evelyn discovers her cravings can only be satisfied by human flesh and blood. It's called Embryo. Aliens. Brandon Thomas covered this one for us, and he is a sucker for good sci-fi horror, and there's not enough, he says. And he says, this is it. This is good sci-fi horror. It's not great. It is, uh, it's gross. Yeah. It takes some sloppy turns that you might appreciate. But it's also w- well-written, well-made. The performances are good. It's not, you know, alien, right? I mean, it's not one of the movies that's going to stick with you forever, but it's a decent little horror movie. It's the co-writer and director of Patricio Valadares. And, yeah, I think Brandon mentioned two or three times how gross it was. So right. wanted to really put that out there. There's a, it's a bit of sci-fi horror gore, which I can be down with. And <laughs> <laughs> so you can read his review at MadWolf.com. It's on VOD this week. It's a bargain. It's a bargain rental on Prime, and it's called Embryo. And one more this week, more horror. A group of graduate students get more than they bargained for while searching for the legendary Bigfoot. Not only is he real, but there's something far more evil lurking in the shadows. The Wendigo. This is Dawn of the Beast. You're telling me that Bigfoot isn't the only monster out there? It knows we're here. They're coming. I'd say in brings the dawn. And with the dawn comes the light. These are filmmakers. Uh, the writer is Anna Shields. The director is Bruce Wemple. Who are showing their preoccupations because they have made already a movie about Bigfoot and a movie about the Wendigo. So this is the movie where they the two meet. Together. Exactly. <laughs> Just like Godzilla versus Kong. Right, except bad. <laughs> it's a bad movie, and I'm sorry to say that. I mean, I, I think that Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us, and I was hopeful. I guess I was hoping that, uh, you know, Bigfoot, y- 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 you always you always hold out hope, I think. And, and it's weird 
Sasquatch is really having a moment. He's going to have his own TV series coming up pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, he is. He's having a moment. And um, this is not really contributing much to that moment, actually. It's it's just pretty bad. It's not very well written. The performances are not very good. It's not very interesting. Nah. It's go- it, Bigfoot is always going to remind me now of the, I, don't, I forget where we're going, probably Florida, but I watched on a plane, I watched the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot right. with Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. And I was amazed how straight they played it. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is some kind of parody, some kind of, no. They played it straight up, and it's kind of enjoyable. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> better than this movie. Better than this. And this is Dawn of the Beast out on VOD, another bargain rental this week. And that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby where we're checking in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, all the latest news and changes to the film release schedule. So what do we got this week? Well, Amazon has officially closed the deal to purchase their the Chris Pratt sci-fi action or the the Tomorrow War off of Paramount. It will premiere on Amazon Prime come July 2nd. And speaking of Paramount, they postponed the release of Top Gun Maverick from July 2nd back to November 19th. And as a result, they've also pushed back the releases of Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible 8, which are pretty much being shot back-to-back. Mission Impossible 7 will hit Memorial Day weekend next year, and then Mission Impossible 8 won't arrive till November 2023. Wow. But, yeah. <laughs> That's big for Top Gun. Because Top Gun, doesn't it just seems like a summer movie to it me. It does. Yeah, it, it's odd. And I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you the reason why they did it here in a second, but at least their reason for it. But it, it does seem odd to me. I would think July would be a better date for that. I mean, I'm sure it'll do fine in November, but yeah, it, it really does seem like a summer movie. What they have moved up in, sort of in its place is the... Um, G.I. Joe reboot movie, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. Now, that's going to come out on July 23rd now, this year, and it stars Henry Golding, Samara Weaving, and Andrew Koji. I'm wondering if they're still cagey about whether or not uh, stuff's going to open big this summer, you know, even though Godzilla vs. Kong's doing well, and I'm wondering if they're thinking if Top Gun might be sacrificed as a result, and if they're if that's going to happen, maybe G.I. Joe is a better sacrificial lamb for them. But uh, moving on from that, um, Sony signed on with Netflix this week, and what that basically means is beginning next year, Netflix will be the streaming home for Sony films. You know, anything new that comes out in 2022 and beyond, when it's streaming, it'll be on Netflix, and of course they'll eventually pull their libraries back from the other services. Whew. And I guess the only thing really notable at that is Sony was one of the few that doesn't have their own streaming service, right. yeah. and they were the last one to sign up with somebody else. Um, MGM paired up with Paramount Plus, Lionsgate shoving their stuff off onto the Stars app. Sony was the only one left, and they've shacked up with Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Netflix, the biggest deal of the week by far happened to involve Knives Out. The first one made a bunch of money a couple years ago, and we already knew that they were going to make more. But the shoe finally dropped this week. We, you know, Most people had expected that Lionsgate would keep putting them out. Well, Netflix bought the rights for the next two films for a whopping $469 million. And what's extra crazy about that is Lionsgate did not own those movies. Ryan Johnson and his producing partner own the franchise. They're getting the bulk of that money along with Daniel Craig. Apparently, they're each expected to net upwards of $100 million apiece off of that deal. Oh, wow. my Lord. 
<laughs> wow. They're, wow. Yeah. They're supposed to shoot the first one of the two this summer in Greece, and the other specifics of the deal that are interesting um, are that they have to produce two movies from that lump sum. Both of them have to cost at least $40 million, which is the budget of the first movie, and Ryan Johnson has full creative control over both projects. Well, I, I think he's I think he's earned it. Oh, you're not kidding. I mean, I'd see anything yeah. he made. But the only other fun thing I saw this week, um, of course, I know you're not the biggest fan of the original, but it was the teaser for the new Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting for two reasons. One, it seems way more mean-spirited than I thought it would be. <laughs> they're, they're, they're killing and cannibalizing each other, and they're doing it gleefully. It yeah. has yes. a real yeah. gremlins vibe to it. No, I mean, and the other thing... I, Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. You're fine. Well, I was just saying about Ghostbusters. It's, it, I, I think it's fine. The original Ghostbusters. It's just that you mm-hmm. know, hope, hope loves it so much. I do love it so much. I don't know if it's the, the just the difference in our ages hit you at the perfect time. I think it's fine. I just think over the years it has, it has taken a place in pop culture that I personally don't think it it really merits, but that's okay. I mean, I still like it. I'm still very much looking forward to this one. Oh, yeah. No, I love Ghostbusters. I love it. I love it massively. And um, and I loved that ad. I, I thought it was so funny. And like you say, yeah, it had the gremlins kind of a mean spirit with a tiny little Stay Puffed marshmallows. Yeah. That was awesome. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm really excited to see it. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for it, too, especially with the people involved. But what I thought was interesting about it is, this is another example of a movie where we've been seeing teaser trailers for this for almost two years now. Yeah. So it, it's it's just, I thought it was an interesting way to re, sort of remind people it's coming out later this year, I think in November, without just dishing out a full trailer that just toss out a little snippet. And I think it's just an interesting way to sell a movie that we've been, you know, getting sold since late 2019 and aren't going to see for another six months or so. Right. And I think they did a really good job with it, but it's it's just an interesting, it's another interesting wrinkle in all this pandemic stuff of, you know, studios trying to pump out more trailers and keep interest up for movies that they've been promising forever now. Yep. And it didn't, it came out, I think, on Paul Rudd's birthday, Paul Rudd's 52nd birthday, the ageless Paul Rudd, <sighs> and that's when the, the trailer came out. And it, you're right, it, it doesn't even play like a trailer, it's just a funny scene, but it was great. Okay, for the latest movie news, who are you going to call? Schlocketeer. <laughs> <laughs> nice, you can find Daniel Baldwin at the Schlocketeer. Thanks again. All right, thanks again. Looking ahead to next week, well, we're, we're down one. We thought it was gonna. We thought we were gonna have a big release next week with Mortal Kombat, but that's been pushed. It has for a week. All right, so it's looking a little quiet. We got one called Monday. In the Earth, the new Ben Wheatley. Oh, we watched it already. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, Our Towns, The Banishing, Sensation, Jacob's Wife, Fatherhood, and Rifa. All right. We'll see what those are about, and maybe there'll be something uh, or another pop-up that we don't know about yet. If so, we'll get to that, too. So, a lot going on. We appreciate the feedback we got last week. Keep it coming. If you have anything, any thoughts about uh, any of the movies this week, we'd love to hear from you. You can always find us on Twitter, at Mad Wolf. Easiest way to keep the conversation going. Also, on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all available right there at madwolf.com. So until next week, get that vaccine. I know even if it makes you feel a little crummy for one day, it's worth it. And uh, (laughs) we'll talk to you (laughs) next week. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but... 
I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.